Welcome to the Critical Conversations podcast, hosted by two critical care nurses who are doing things differently. We're here to discuss our healthcare system, why preventative health is so important to us, and what you can do about it. What if I told you, you had the power to change the trajectory of your life? Would you do it? Hey guys, welcome back. This is episode number seven of the Critical Conversations podcast. This is Bree. And this is Laura. And we are diving in to Laura's health story today. If you guys had a chance to listen to episode six, you know that I personally dove into mine last week. It all started with an acute symptom that I then had to figure out with multiple doctor's visits, a whole bunch of tests that weren't giving me any answers, and which kind of guided me to look at my own health retrospectively and dive into what could be at the root cause of my symptoms. For me, it was an acute incident, something that was showing up physically that I knew I had to find an answer to. And some people can relate to that and some people can't. Um, As Laura said at the beginning of last week, everybody's health is so individualized and we really need to start looking at holistic healthcare to truly create individualized healthcare for everybody so it works best for us but we can all learn from each other and learn from each other's stories because even if your symptoms might not be the same or the medications you've been prescribed aren't necessarily the same usually a lot of the correlating factors are kind of all connected so before hitting record on this week's podcast Laura and I talked about her history a little bit and I didn't even realize how in depth her health history goes and It's pretty incredible to see where she's come and come full circle and looked into her own health history for her own benefit. And she has made incredible progress with everything in her life. Um, And it truly shows why she is so passionate about health in the way that she is. And I'm excited for you guys to learn more. So I'm going to hand the mic over and let Laura kind of dive into the beginning and we'll go from there. All right. Thanks for the intro. Um, Guys, I actually didn't realize that my whole, and I'm going to say it, and I'm going to embrace it, but my whole journey was quite as complex as it is until I was trying to explain it to some, some people today. So I'm going to start the way that everyone starts, and I was born, <laughs> um, and I was actually a vaginal delivery, and if you know anything about the microbiome, it starts at birth, and I had a nice, robust uh, microbiome right from, right from the get-go. I was brought up in a very, I think, typical um, American household. Nothing that unusual, nothing that crazy. My parents were both educated people and went to the doctors and did the normal routine checkups. I actually had a lot of problems as as a child with ear infections, and it seems very minor talking about it, but if you know anything about ear infections or you have a child or you also had ear infections as a child, you know that you are on a lot of antibiotics. So I was on a lot of antibiotics. Um, I actually didn't even speak until I was three years old because I had chronic ear infections. That actually translated into, I ended up getting tubes and that wasn't a problem. I got, I think two or three sets of tubes. Took care of the ear infections. I started speaking. I was meeting all the normal milestones for a kid. And then I ended up with a chronic strep throat. I'm from a large family, and we ended up handing it back and forth to each other very frequently. So I ended up with strep throat at least once a month. I was probably the sickest child in my family. On antibiotics, once a month, strep throat, chronically. Ended up with getting my adenoids out, but I didn't get my tonsils out actually until I was 28 years old. Otherwise, I I mean, on paper, that's a pretty normal, standard childhood. Um, When I was 15 years old, I ended up having severe abdominal pain, got taken to the ER. My dad took me, had my first pelvic exam, which was kind of uh, (laughs) uh, an experience. It was very intense, pretty humiliating because when you're 15, you don't want a random male doctor putting a scope up you. And that's what I had. And they, they found out that I had a ovarian cyst that had ruptured and I ended up having some mild internal bleeding that would go away easily and it would be reabsorbed by my body on my own. So I was sent home. And the very next day, I was an athlete. I've always been an athlete. I was sent to go swim. I was a swimmer. So um, it happened in the summer. I went to swim. I remember cutting off my armbands at the swimming pool. I was pretty tired that day because I had spent the whole night in the ER. 
Um, I still went to swim practice. I had a meet that was very important the next day. So everyone wanted me to be there. And life continued. The next week I was put on birth control. Um, a pretty standard, again, a pretty standard thing for a 15, 16 year old. I mean, a lot of people get put on birth controls. It was very common. No questions were asked except for the fact like she's here because she had a, this giant ovarian cyst, it ruptured. The doctor said, okay, we can cover that. Let's just take control of her hormones, which I guess in hindsight is a ridiculous concept, but in the moment made perfect sense. Like let's take over it. Let's make sure this doesn't happen. Um, was put on birth control and within the first month of taking that birth control, I actually passed out in the shower, was put on a different kind of birth control and was doing okay and didn't actually have any problems for a while. And when I was 16, 17, which I now know is probably a symptom of that hormone, I was having intense migraines, I was put on Imitrex, had to sit out for my sports. I was actually a lacrosse player at this time and had to sit out of lacrosse end up getting an MRI for my migraines. And then they eventually, I think they switched my pill again, but it wasn't for the migraines, it was for something else. By the time I was um, 17, 18, so my junior and senior year in high school, I was having intense GI issues. They thought I had IBS. They weren't sure what was going on. Maybe it was Crohn's, maybe it was celiac, maybe it was colitis. And so they took biopsies and they did an upper, called an EGD, upper scope of my stomach. And they did a colonoscopy to take biopsies of both ways and see what's going on. And I had um, five ulcers in my stomach and uh, an inflamed intestine, and they didn't actually understand why any of that was happening. (laughs) And I was at that time, I was told that I should avoid eating any vegetables, any uh, whole foods. They wanted me to eat as many processed foods as possible. And as specifically, they wanted me to eat white processed food and white potatoes and and I'm not even kidding you Brie when I said when I'm saying this I they asked me to to consume wonder bread specifically (laughs) I can't even imagine that coming out of a doctor's mouth as a recommendation yeah so I was getting all these different things thrown at me I actually remember telling the doctor that didn't really make sense because what I knew about a healthy diet like wonder bread wasn't part of it and I didn't really feel comfortable doing it, but that's what she recommended. And I, I started looking into different stuff and I started becoming very interested in my own health because it didn't seem like anyone else was as interested in it as I was. And, and which makes sense how, too, because it's me. How old were you at this point? Um, when I became interested in my health. Yeah. When this doctor is telling you to eat I a think very I was a senior, I was a senior in high school. Okay. So she's telling you to eat processed foods. You're asking why you're you're realizing that it doesn't really make sense but you don't really have a understanding or a background yet in nutrition yeah I don't know why I don't know I don't know why either but I'm kind of I'm I'm very interested because I have a vested interest obviously in my own body I was really interested in not feeling sick every time I ate um every time I ate every time I ate something my stomach would become distended and I was in a lot of pain and I was I was, I went to appointment after appointment. I was taken out of school. I would go for a CAT scan. I would go for EGD. I would go for a colonoscopy. And I had a lot of tests done. And I don't think I, until being a nurse, I don't think I really realized how kind of bizarre and sick I was. I actually felt like it was pretty normal. Like I felt like I was a normal, healthy kid. I didn't understand why these things were happening. And I just wanted to know why that was happening so what I could do to change it. Right. And at this point, I hadn't really put together anything. So I remember my senior year, I had um, five gastric ulcers, and I they decided that I didn't have anything diagnosable. They just decided I had IBS, which is basically a coverall for something's wrong with your gut, but we don't exactly know why it's inflamed or why it's angry, but you have it. And with that diagnosis, did they have you start any medications, or did they just kind of tell you, this is how it is, start eating white bread, and you'll be fine? Well, that was the original one. They started, they wanted me to change my diet to eating mostly processed food. Um, all, most, a lot of, uh, more carbohydrates and the carbohydrate sources would be like white potatoes, white bread, white rice, because I was told that it would be easier for me to digest. It wouldn't cause as many problems. And I was like, this doesn't really, this doesn't really make sense to me. Did like, you try it? Did you, I didn't. did you try and focus in on it ever? I, I, I didn't. I couldn't wrap my head around it. I couldn't (laughs) wrap my head around it. It didn't make sense. 
to all of you that are listening, since I was a baby, if you ask my parents, since I was a child, I was very a, a very determined person. I was a very determined personality. I'm sure I was a difficult child because of that, but I always wanted to know why. Why was like the main question, always. And it actually hasn't ever stopped being. Um, I'm very inquisitive. Uh, I'm very determined. I'm fairly hard-headed. I need legitimate reasons. Before you change my mind, I need a, a, a rationale. And I didn't feel like I was getting that. And I started searching for my own stuff. Um, I started searching for my own answers. And my mom actually was very supportive of this. My parents were very supportive of me digging and finding out like whatever I could find out. And so I started reading a book called um, The Maker's Diet. <laughs> I don't actually know who wrote it or <laughs> how old it is. But I've I never would, even heard of that. Basically, it was this guy who had, I think I think he might have had Crohn's disease or he had something and he reversed his disease process by eating whole foods. And I was like, all right, this sounds more legitimate. This is something I can get on board with. And I started making my own meals. And this all happened at the end of my senior year. So at the end of my senior year, into the, my beginning of my freshman year of college. And, and to be completely fair, it's kind of muddy water exactly the timeline at this point. Because I'm not a, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm a little <laughs> further out from this. But I got another test done. I got a CT scan done because I was having constant abdominal bloating after eating. So my doctor decided to do a CT scan. And what the CT scan found was that I was... I had... Um, delayed gastric emptying. So my stomach was actually delaying food emptying from it twice the normal amount of time as a standard person, as a normal person would. So it took me twice the amount of time to get anything out of my stomach as your typical run-of-the-mill person. And it found that I had sludge. So I had toothpaste consistency coming out of my gallbladder. Your gallbladder is important, if you don't know this, is important for holding bile until it's necessary to put into your stomach. So it's a little sac that goes from your um, from your liver and then the bile sits in your gallbladder and then it's excreted into your stomach. It's pumped into your stomach when you need it. And it helps that bile then helps you digest the food that you're eating. Right. It helps break down fats, specifically proteins, things that are hard to break down. So that was putting out something that was like toothpaste consistency. And that was a problem too. So they started me on something called Reglin. It helps your GI tract kind of the motility to get through faster. And they also decided to send me to a general surgeon. And the general surgeon was to see me about my gallbladder because my gallbladder wasn't working properly. And this was a lot for me to take in as a kind of a kid, basically. And and I had a lot of questions about it because it didn't really make sense. And I was just as into my health then as I am now and probably because no one could give me a direct answer on why and since I'm such an inquisitive person and such a strong personality I was really diving into why is this happening to me because all around I was slim I was athletic I didn't I mean I ate a standard American diet which is not a great diet in general we can all agree on that but I wasn't eating poorly all the time like I wasn't eating poorly. That was going to be one of my questions. You said you've read that book that you discovered when the doctor told you to eat processed foods because they're easier to digest. And you started reading the book telling you that whole foods will actually help you heal your body. When you started reading that, I know you're a teenager and it's really hard to really stick to a regimen when you're not truly in control of your food all the time. Did you feel like you were able to implement it? Did you feel like you were actually benefiting from it? Or was it just kind of like broadening your awareness of food at the time? I think a little bit of both. I think I was actually very encouraged by it. Okay. Because I was like, all right, maybe there's something else I can do. Maybe there's some more control I can take over this. Maybe I can take some more ownership of my health. Right. Which to me was, I really wanted ownership. Could you see a benefit if you were trying to focus in on for a few days or a week at a time? Like, did you feel like it was helping? I did feel like it was a little bit better, but my gallbladder was still a problem. Like it, it definitely was. It was still a problem. And it wasn't something that my food was resolving for me. Um, so yes, I, I felt like I had something to take hold of, but I didn't like you said, I didn't actually have full control over my diet. Right. I wasn't able to purchase everything that I needed to. And I didn't actually have 
it was just like the very tip of the beginning of my education on nutrition. Right. And you're also given a pretty powerful diagnosis of ulcers in your stomach and now sludge in your gallbladder. What did the um, doctors recommend when they saw the sludge in the gallbladder? So I went to a surgeon with my mom and the general surgeon said, look, you need your gallbladder out. It'll work. It's obviously not working. It's putting out sludge. It shouldn't be putting out sludge. I said to him, you know, I don't understand why it's doing that. I am on this birth control. I did my research. I think maybe it has something to do with that because what you look at and what I've learned now in nursing school, but at that point it wasn't in nursing school, is there are certain risk factors that you have for getting your, for gallbladder problems. It's you're over the age of 40, you're fertile, you're overweight. There's one study that says you're fair-skinned, but I'm not sure about that. And then, so I basically, I lose none of those things. Oh, and female. Yes, thank you. Obviously, it was female. <laughs> but I I was on birth control, so I wasn't fertile. I wasn't overweight, and I wasn't 40, and I wasn't fair. And I was like, I don't fall into your typical diagnosis. I don't understand why this is happening to me. The only thing I think can think of is maybe my birth control is causing problems to make it look like I'm... 40 and fertile like maybe that's causing that and kind of looking to him to help me understand it and he said absolutely not this isn't that's definitely not what's causing kind of blew me off and made me feel small yeah for asking it and at this point you had been on birth control for a few years at this point I started birth about 15 I was on birth control for at least four years yeah so it's the one thing that is new in your body that you're taking on a daily basis and he just shrugged it off and said there's no way it's correlated right that's correct Mm. um i also talked to my g my gi doctor about it and she said that there's no way it's correlated so i felt powerless like i felt confused as conflicted i really didn't want to have surgery done because i didn't really feel like I was a candidate. Like I didn't, I knew that there was sludge, but I didn't feel like I fit the bill. And my parents said, well, this is what the doctors want. And I talked to my, at the time I was dating somebody and her, his mom was a nurse and she's like, well, you should listen to the doctors. And so I did. And I was like, I feel like I don't know any better. And all of these people that I respect and or in authoritative positions are telling me this is what I need. And even though I don't feel great about it, who am I to say that this isn't what I need? Right. And I, and at the time I don't even think that they had studies out about the link between I was on Yaz. Um, Yaz today, if you look at the studies, there's a study from 2011. It was from um, a Canadian study. And uh, they said that if you are on Yaz or Yasmin and there's one other birth control that has a specific kind of ingredient in it, if you're on those birth controls, you're at 20% increase for gallbladder issues and gallbladder disease than any other birth control. That's so crazy. I that was for, the... after, after six months of taking, after two years of taking, which I was on it for well over two years. I was on Yaz. That was the same birth control I was prescribed when I was a teenager just to help with like skin <sighs> issues and symptom control and just to have more predictable periods. I think that was probably the most common prescribed birth control there was when we were that age. Well, it was popular. It was kind of trendy. It yeah. sounds ridiculous to say that, but like your friends would be like, what kind are you on? And right. people would go so to the doctor and be like, my friend's on this one and that's what I feel comfortable with. And I understand why that was happening because they're like, oh, so-and-so's on it. It's working for them. I want that too. And yet not all things work the same for everybody. And, you know, no, like, but this particular one, unfortunately, this Yaz and Yasmin, they're related. They're the same company. Um, I Yaz think now actually, it's called Be Yaz. Like they've even changed the uh, name again a few times. Yeah, maybe because they got sued. But <laughs> I'm going to get there to guys. Um, but – if you're on it for if you're on Yaz, which I was for over two years, you're at actually a thirty percent, and this is statistically significant information: thirty percent increased risk for gallbladder disease, as well as this is in 2011. This is like well after I got my yeah. gallbladder out. That's specific to you. There's other side effects and things. That oh, are for sure, there's other side effects, well. but that was specific to me and my story. Yeah, um, and we'll we'll go over. I think that we should just do a whole birth control conversation on another day because there's so much we can dive into I think we need to especially after your post last night on Instagram and the conversation that's developing around it I think it's all I was told in 
nursing school is that it puts you at increased risk for blood clots and it puts you at increased risk for pregnancy if you combine it with antibiotics. Those are the only yeah. two things. The antibiotics talks. will make it ineffective. Yep. That's all I remember hearing from my doctor. I mean, outside of obviously like how how well does it work? All all of those things were given to us in list and like if you take it at the perfect time, it is 99 per whatever percent effective. Which is all good information except for I think for me it was very frustrating now to find out that that it, maybe this could be preventable, but correlated potentially. Yeah, so anyway, I went through and got my gallbladder out. When your gallbladder is taken out, your basically your plumbing's kind of reworked, and my now my bile duct goes straight into my bowel. So there's no like little sac holding the bile, ready to squeeze in when I eat the meal. So it has actually caused a lot of digestive issues out on top of what I was having before, or not on top of, but instead of because I've now taken. Control. Yeah, now they're just different issues. They're different symptoms. Well, yeah, and it's permanent. It's not something I can do anything about. Yeah. So anyway, I had that done when I was 19. Um, Moving on, when I was 20, 21, I think I was 21. I was in my beginning of my senior year, I think. It might have been 20. I don't remember. 20 or 21 years old, I was in nursing school. I just remember being terrified that I was going to be kicked out of nursing school because I was sick. It had happened twice, two other times because my nursing school was seriously cutthroat. It should not have been. <laughs> I mean, no one should be getting kicked out of nursing school for being sick. That's, so, that's such a ridiculous concept. It's so against what nursing is. <laughs> <laughs> that happened in my class. I think three or four people got dropped because of an illness that they weren't able it's, to get to class on time. Right. You're not able to get to class. You're missing. Yeah. So I, I was super, super, super sick. I was pushing myself to not have to go to the hospital because I was like, I cannot go to the hospital. I have to go to class. Like I have to be <laughs> at clinical the next day. Um, I had 106 temperature in the middle of the night when I took it. I was living with my grandparents at the time and I didn't want to wake them up because they're my grandparents and I care about them and I didn't want them to get worried and I didn't hindsight obviously I should have woken them up but I didn't I started walking to the hospital um 106 fever ended up calling my dad because I couldn't walk any further um was taken to the hospital was admitted with sepsis I was put on IV antibiotics I was NPO meaning I could take nothing by mouth I could not eat or drink for five days I was on IV fluids and IV antibiotics I'd sweat through my blankets every night and it was quite the experience i remember writing a report about that instead of the clinical i went to i wrote a report about myself and my hospital stay and i remember brie i didn't tell you this part before but i want to tell all of you it was the most bizarre thing at the end of my hospital stay i was like ready to get out of there people were my my nursing friends had brought me food and like I was ready to leave that day and I was so excited and I was like, all I want to do, all I need to do is go into the woods. And my mom's my mom's like, you will absolutely not go hiking today. You're leaving the <laughs> hospital. You've been in the hospital for a week. You can't go hiking today. And I was like, I have to go hiking today. I have to. I remember the story you told me when we were I hiking in Malibu us- the first time we were hiking together. I love this story. I was like, I have to, I have to go hiking. She's like, you can't go hiking. And I was like, I but I'm going to. Like, I'm an adult, I'm in nursing school, like I don't live with you. I'm going, I'm Let's, going to I want to back it up real fast before you go too deep in this story. You said you were admitted with sepsis. For those of yeah. the people that are listening that don't know what sepsis is, thank you. it's a severe bacterial infection that means that you had an infection that left was left untreated and got worse and developed into a systemic infection. So the bacteria actually reaches your bloodstream. So yeah. this infection actually, is in your whole body at this point. Right. So the reason I had, thank you for backing up. Yeah. I appreciate that. So um, the reason I had sepsis and the, what the doctor told me, I, so I had an under, again, lots of scans, obviously um, lots of tests, blood tests. I had band cells, which are very baby um, white blood cells, like bananas in my body. Everything was going insane in my body. Um, my white blood cell count was through the roof. I had this raging infection and it was all coming from little tiny cracks that they had found in my uh, small bowel. So I had what the doctor said at the time, which is really funny because it's a legit thing this day, but I think it was more of a conceptual, like it wasn't very well, um, understood, understood back then, but he goes, you have leaky gut. And then left it at that. No one told me anything more about that or like how to fix it. They're like, we're giving you these antibiotics because you have leaky gut and it's leaking into your into your blood system. And now you have an, you have bacteria from your gut in your blood. 
And it was a severe infection yeah. and an infection that required not just infection. one round of antibiotics, but when you're, when you have sepsis and you're in the hospital, that means you're getting a variety of antibiotics to kill off a variety of different bacteria that could be present in your yeah. system. So I was on four different antibiotics, um, major antibiotics like vancomycin, big guns, which are basically their cover. It's a, it was a coverall. They take my blood. That blood has to sit in the lab and grow something before they specify what exactly it is so they can narrow it down. But until they specify it, they actually put you on very, very wide, broad spectrum antibiotics to kill yeah, everything. The most antibiotics we have. To kill everything in your blood. And, and to be fair, in this moment, that was appropriate. Oh, it saved your life. Like you in this it. moment, you cannot live with a hundred and six temperature. Right. <laughs> they had me in the step down unit. Like I was, I was really, really sick. Yeah. And if it wasn't for my age, probably I probably wouldn't have been in the ICU. Yeah. But you absolutely needed it. And I think the reason I wanted to clarify that is to so that everyone listening understands how severe the treatment the was, like yeah. how severe the diagnosis was, how intense the treatment was, which then on top of all the antibiotics you took as a kid and now the antibiotics you're receiving in like your young adult life and then your urge to go outside into the middle of the forest. <laughs> I'll let you tell the rest. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to like, I'm kind of going to pause there because that was kind of the end of my acute things to tell you. I'm going to fast forward. So that was at the age of like 21, 22. I should say 20 through 22. It's probably 21, I think. I graduated nursing school when I was 22 and then moved to Charlottesville, Virginia and started my nursing career at University of Virginia where I was able to cook for myself, eat for myself. Like I was changing my body in a different way and I had actually taken a break of birth control for about eight months, somewhere in there. And then I switched to the IUD, which is a much lower hormone and it's um it's not systemic meaning it's not throughout your whole body it's actually localized to your uterus so the effects aren't felt as powerfully as a, an oral birth control pill so all of my big problems kind of became very small problems anticipated and my, I, knew, I didn't have any gastric ulcers anymore and I didn't have any big GI issues anymore although I couldn't break down fat very well because I removed my gallbladder so fast forward to 2015. 2015, we moved to California. Um, my husband and I bought a house. We got married. Lots of life changes. I started a new job. And I started working at a community hospital. And it was a very general ICU. And it was not a good fit for me. And it was a poor fit. I was very unhappy there. I was there for about 18 months. It wasn't a good place for me. It was causing a lot of stress. And I needed to bail. So... I did. I bailed and I had nothing to do for a few months. I it was the first time in my life I ever didn't have a job. And it was really hard for me because I only ever identified as an ICU nurse. So stepping out of that role and figuring out what I was doing was really hard. And what got me through was studying. <laughs> Naturally, guys. So. <laughs> um, I really, I was interested in health and fitness and I was like ankle deep in fitness like I had started an Instagram account I was doing um all of these different things online I, I was, think the appropriate way to say that is that you're neck deep no 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 I'm thinking of diving in you're diving against deep. your ankle deep. okay yeah. in <laughs> case you guys want to hear about that I was diving in I wasn't it wasn't a pencil dive it was like a head first dive. So I was, I was hoping deep. there was a metaphor attached to it there wasn't a metaphor there's no metaphor for that one I'm just going rogue. It's okay. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So you're it. really into fitness. You start your Instagram really account. You're really getting really serious about it all. Starting yeah. your BBG, all of that. I was doing BBG. I was all into BBG. You know, I started an Instagram account because I want to hold myself accountable and I want to meet some people and I wasn't happy where I was and I didn't have a lot of friends here and it was a really hard fit. Ventura is a hard fit for me. And I was struggling in a lot of ways and I didn't have my job anymore and my personal identification had like gone awry. And I was like, all right, this is a grounding moment. These are people I can talk to. These are people that are on the same level as me or doing the same stuff as me. So I got really into fitness, focused myself on fitness. And I was like, I want abs. And when workouts weren't enough for abs, 
yes, abs were like the impetus for all of us guys. This is ridiculous. But um, it was your why at the moment. It was your goal. At the moment, it was my why. So I was doing this because I was like, I really want to get fit. I want to feel good in my body. I want abs. I want abs because abs are, at the time, it was like, that is what fitness is. If you can see your abs, you're fit, which is a ridiculous concept. Yeah. Please don't adhere to that. That's yeah. not even true. So <laughs> that is not a true statement. <laughs> no, but what I what got me into food was I was like, all right, so fitness alone isn't working. So let's do if abs are made in the kitchen, let's talk about that. All right, so abs are made in the kitchen. So I started learning about food, and then the more I learned about food, the more questions I've had about how it was affecting your body. And then it happened. I really, really, really lost myself in the world of the microbiome. I was studying every day, day and night. My husband heard about the microbiome (laughs) all the time. And I was fascinated and I was amazed and I was upset. I remember this time. This is like right as you and I started becoming friends and like really connecting with each other. Everything you were learning, you were just divulging into your Instagram account like you wanted to tell the world everything you were learning about sugar and the microbiome and your gut and your digestive tract you were just your your eyes opened to a whole new way it it was incredible it was it was incredible because it was like oh these aren't just ingredients these aren't just calories forever I was like oh a calorie is a calorie I was always told a calorie is a calorie and that's how you become fit and like it's a math problem and I was like holy bananas there's so much more to it than just a calorie in the food that you're eating calories in calories out this is like your body is getting messages from what you're eating and you have nourishment and nutrients in your gut you hold more dna from other like little micro little bacteria bugs than i do in my whole body in my gut they outnumber me and so i was like whoa what is, what have I been missing? What does this mean? What is it? How does this mean for my life? And so I started reading more and more and more. And the more I found, the more I thirst and the more I found, the less I knew. And it, I mean, isn't that, isn't that always the case with, with knowledge? I feel like the more, you know, the less, you know, you're like, holy crap, I don't know what to believe. Right. I am so far into this. There's so much research. How comes no one's told me about this? I was angry. I was passionate. And I think from all of my personal experiences, and I don't think I could really understand this even maybe until this week when I was telling people about my story, is that because of my story and because of where I've come from and because of my lack of patient advocacy, I really felt the need to advocate for people. Like I feel like I need to do that for my patients and I feel the need to explain things I'm learning so my audience can learn and so maybe their families can learn and maybe their neighbors can learn and maybe people can learn more because I'm learning something too right and so I started explaining things what I was learning I'd like read as much as I could about it and then basically like get on Instagram and talk about it and then I started stumbling over things that I was like oh my god this is me this was me as a 15 year old this is me as a 16 year old this is me as a 17 year old this is what's wrong with me this is what's happening and all the things I had shut down before, because I was like, oh, I'm not sick anymore. That was just part of my life. What it turned into is like the middle piece of like a puzzle, you know, a jigsaw puzzle. And then you get that obscure middle piece and you're like, what the hell is this piece? <laughs> where does this go? Where does it fit? Yeah. Where does this go? What is this? What is this doing here? How did this get here? It became very clear. Like I started finding the edge pieces and I was like, this research study and this research study and the lawsuit against Yaz about um, how it actually had a 30% percent increase in in gallbladder issues. And I wasn't the only one. And there was all these women that had gallbladder issues. And the pieces started to fill in. And, and long-term antibiotic f- use and what that yeah. can do to the lining of your gut and cause leaky gut and yes. different things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I started becoming very into fixing my gut and what can I do to fix my gut and what can I do to support my gut? And what what um what ingredients do I need to avoid so I can support my body to do what it wants to do? Because your body, I don't know why I was always taught that like, oh, your body's acting up or your body's against you, or you oh, you might have an autoimmune disease, so your body's fighting you. <sighs> <I'm> <laughs> breathing because that could not be further from the truth. 
your body wants to live. Your body is programmed to live. Your body is programmed to do what it needs to do. And sometimes that looks like it's fighting you, but it's always fighting for you. Yeah. It will compensate until the very end. It will do everything and shift and adjust to make up for the deficiencies that you're not providing it to try and rebalance because the medications you're taking are shifting it in one way. Like it will do everything and anything. And we see that in the most critical of patients. Like it's a miracle what it can truly fight through until it can no longer fight. And how many times have I, and I was telling you this tonight, Brie, before we got on here, but how many times like I got off birth control finally the past year it was the last medication I was ever on. And I was like, I was terrified to do it. I was terrified to take myself off of it because I was like, oh my God, what if I get an ovarian cyst again? It's going to be so painful. Right. What if my acne, like what if I get acne? And I did, but what if I like, what if I have all these things happen? And I was my core, who I am, who I like, I was like, chill, chill out. Like I want to know the true me. I want to know where I am because if I don't hear myself speak, I cannot address it. I love that. Um, and at that point, I needed to take at that point the, the duct tape had, off my mouth. <laughs> I, I did. I disrupted. Well, you're a, a great metaphor. I'm so sorry. Oh, sorry. Don't worry about it. I'll say another one later. Say it again. But I really felt like there was the last piece of tape I had over my mouth, and my body is trying to speak. And if I'm not listening to my body because I have covered it up. I can't understand what to do to fix it. And I can't support it. I can't support my body if I can't listen to it. Yeah. And at that point in your life, you had been on birth control for what, 14, 15 years? Um, 16. But I had taken, I guess, an eight-month break in there at some point. And I did have a four-year stint of an IUD. So I had, but it was hormonal IUD. Right. So almost for 16 solid years with a an eight-month leeway in there. Right. And I think you I and I, hormones. we've told our stories. And I think between you and I, we were both on birth control for over a decade, nearly a decade and a half each. And we're not alone. There's so many people listening to this that are thinking either they've been on it and they still are on it and they're afraid to stop taking it or they were on it and now they have a lot of symptoms or in retrospect, they can relate to it. Like there's, it's such a bigger conversation. And I just, I think it's so interesting. I want to just loop back to all the problems you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. You were trying to ask questions. It sounds like pretty early on, you were trying to advocate for yourself, but in a way you were getting overpowered still by the doctors. And I think part of that had to do with your age and the fact that your parents were sitting there kind of as like the second go-to for the final decision. Yeah. And I think at the core of this podcast, we're trying our hardest to encourage people to advocate for themselves. And yet we still hit these roadblocks where you were asking the surgeon, do I really need my gallbladder out? I think it might be the hormones and the birth control causing these changes in my body. And you were told that it wasn't the case. So like, now that you have gone through all that and you see in retrospect what could have been, like, what do you think your biggest takeaway is from that message? I'm not sure that anything would have changed. Like, I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the insight. I do now, and I didn't then. And I don't know if it would have been different. Yeah, you were asking the questions, but I guess you didn't have, like, the knowledge behind it to, like, really back yourself up. And I was talking to people this morning, and I know that some of you that are listening to this don't follow me on Instagram. That's okay. Um or maybe some of you do and you didn't hear my stories from this morning, but I was uh, encouraging people to remember that education leads to, or information sharing leads to education, leads to digging and finding what you believe to be true. Um, And that knowledge and education is powerful and it can be used as a tool for you and should not be fear. You should not be fearful of it, but use it as an empowerment. So if I had known more of how to ask or if I had felt comfortable walking away, I would have, but I don't think that based on my age and based on my situation and my general lack of knowledge, and honestly, the study of that birth control was not completed at that time. Right. So I don't know if anything would have been different. My husband's a surgeon. Um, some of you know that, some of you don't. And I actually was talking to him tonight about it. And I said, look, look, look at this article I've been I have found about specifically about Yaz. I was on it for two years as a 30% increase. And he's like, 
I still don't understand why your surgeon didn't ask questions. I still don't understand why he didn't say, you're 19, you're fit, you're otherwise healthy. This doesn't make sense. We should dig into why. Yeah, and like, let's observe you for a little bit and give it a chance to reverse before we go in and operate. And to be fair, just like in any profession, any profession anywhere, not everyone's the same. There will be better surgeons than others. There will be people who are willing to listen, people who've had other life experiences, people yeah. who have come from different places. And and you can't always find them. And sometimes it's just luck of the draw. It truly is. It, it Sometimes you meet the perfect practitioner right away and they hear you and they're like, yes, I know what you're talking about. I just had a patient like this, 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 this. I know all the information. And sometimes you don't get that. And sometimes you get GI doctors who tell you to eat white bread. And <laughs> God. Um, I mean... It, a, a GI patient the other day, so now I recover um, endoscopic patients, and it's really interesting to me because I was one, and I had a patient tell me that their doctor had previously told them to eat Wonder Wonder Bread <laughs> like for the day before in preparation and getting ready, and I was like, that is so interesting that sometimes things don't get updated. and Yeah. I mean, they all are learning from the same textbooks and things that are hopefully changing and updating with time. But I think you've said this before, it takes decades sometimes of scientific-based research to actually change the knowledge base of what's being taught. It doesn't, it takes, it doesn't change overnight. Actually, statistically, what I have found is that it's, they say that it takes between 15 and 20, it takes 10 years for, for practitioners to figure out that this is a current event. Um, until there's plenty of research that they feel is comfortable that they're comfortable with to put into practice, and then it takes about five to ten more years to put, make it a gold standard. Yeah. So that's a twenty year gap, and a lot of things happen in twenty years. And then those new students are learning the new stuff in school, but then they're also going into the real world, the workforce, and being trained being by trained the by the doctors, doctors who had previously. Yeah. So it does so, truly take a lot of time, but it also takes the patients speaking up for themselves, asking questions, and making the doctors maybe think twice about things. Because sometimes a truly well-educated patient with a good approach might actually make the doctor like think about it differently. And I'm not saying that it would have changed anything you with go, your story. Go. I just think yeah. that And I don't encourage people to like Google forums. Like don't ever go and right. Google a forum and then take that information <laughs> to a doctor. That's a ridiculous thing to You'll do. You'll get eyes rolled it. at you. <laughs> but let me get up to today because yeah. I actually didn't get to my current health status. So I got off birth control a year ago. I was ready to. I did it. I had, had intense night sweats. I was actually sweating. I was sleeping on a pool towel because I was so drenched in sweat every night and I was through with it. And I went to see the <clears throat> the doctor I was seeing here and he, it's the first time I've ever seen a male doctor besides the ER visit. And he was like, well, that's sometimes just part of the symptoms. And I was like, I can't do it anymore. I'm coming off. I'm not doing it. Yeah. I'm taking myself off. And I threw my package away. I was in the middle of a package of birth control pills. And I was like, I'm done with it. And started digging and reading and trying to figure out how I could get myself back onto a normal cycle. And then got myself kind of, I actually was really proud of myself. I, I was able to support my body, able to eat the correct stuff, eat enough fat, eat enough things to support having a normal cycle. Got myself in a rhythm. And right around, when was the Thomas fire? It was December 5th. Yeah. Yeah. Last year. So December 5th of 2017, um, Ventura caught on fire. It was really terrifying. And I'm an ice hewner, so I keep... Everyone perceives me as cool, like cool, kind of collected. But it, after it was done, I was unable to get out of fight or flight. And I felt that. I sensed that in myself. And I was like, I'm going to go to bed earlier. I'm going to try to support my body. You were trying to do on. yoga more. Like you were, you were paying attention. I was paying attention. But because, Brie, I had taken my blood sugar. And I was like, I feel like I'm in fight or flight, which would mean my cortisol is high, which would mean my blood sugar is probably high. So in a fasting state, because of a nursing background, I was aware of all these things. And I took my blood sugar in a fasting state and I was 105. Right. I was like, that's pre-diabetic. Like that's considered pre-diabetic yeah, on a normal over day. over 100. On a normal day. This was not a normal day. I was in overdrive. So I continued following that. And it was 105, 198, like 96, 105, just too high for me to consider feeling normal about it. I didn't feel normal about it. I didn't feel good about it. But I knew that it would be within normal, a normal doctor's range. And I, I really wanted to go see somebody who would listen to me. 
and I felt that the best solution for me would to be go to go see an integrative medicine doctor. So I found an integrative medicine doctor in town. I went to see her. We drew a bunch of blood tests, like a lot of blood tests, maybe 10 tubes. Cause we sat together we talked about symptoms and we talked about what I wanted to look at. And we talked about what I wanted in my future. And like for my future family, I wanted to test heavy metals. I want to make sure I didn't have heavy, heavy metals before I got pregnant in my body. I wanted to test my vitamin D. I want to test my thyroid. I want to test, I wanted to test it all. I wanted to see where I was because I wanted to get a good baseline because right. on paper, I'm, I'm a healthy person at this point. And I think I had told you all the things that I had been tested for when I was going through all my symptoms and you were starting to realize like, whoa, there, there's a much deeper level here and the things that can be uncovered with deficiencies and things like that might explain some other imbalances that you were experiencing at the time. Yeah. Well, more than, I mean, even more than that, that definitely helped me and kind of pushed me there. But more than that, I really, really wanted to know about my hormones because I was concerned about my cortisol yeah, levels yeah. because of my fight or flight symptoms, because of my, I, I thought I had a, a um, metabolic disturbance because I wasn't, my blood sugars were kind of off and they're kind of wonky and they shouldn't be, if you looked at me, you would never expect that. And so I went to her. We did a hormonal spit test and a a ton of labs, um, including fatty acids and everything. We did a whole spectrum, all the normal stuff and some stuff that's not normal. Um, My hormonal panel came back and I actually went in and talked to her. I sat down for 45 minutes and we went over it and we developed a plan of action for what we found. Even though I was taking supplements for these certain things, like my vitamin D was still low, my um, omega-3 fatty acids were still low, even though I was taking supplements for it. My CoQ10, which is uh, antioxidant, was still low. There were some things that needed to be worked on. And then the thing that was really, really shocking and really disturbing for me was the fact that my cortisol levels in the morning were 300% higher than they should be. 300% Yeah, that's incredible. Higher. And cortisol level is connected to stress on multiple I, levels yeah. in the body. Um, for a lot of people with high cortisol levels, it can be connected to adrenal fatigue, low thyroid, like all different things. So cortisol is just one number that Laura was able to test and connect to a multitude of other potential problems. But the fact that your cortisol level was that high showed that your body had been under stress for a while, that things had been triggered, that things were out of balance. And to be fair, a pretty significant life event had just happened. Of course. Um, you were evacuated so from your home. fire had just happened. We were evacuated from our home. We actually thought it had burned down originally. It was a very emotional time, and I had trouble coming down from that. But I think I had trouble coming down from that because I already had a standing higher cortisol level than I should have. I think that I already had a chronic issue. So I was given some herbs and supplements, actually, to take both topically and orally in the morning. I'm not going to go through them for you guys because this is my story yeah, and individual. I don't feel as if I should share that with you and I don't want you to go out there and start taking medication that you don't know you should take. So I will keep that to myself. But I started taking um, a regimen that my doctor put me on and I cut back on caffeine. I only drank coffee on the days I work. Otherwise, I'm drinking matcha latte. Um, and then I cut back on the intensity. I'm a, I love exercising. I think it's... I, th- I just feel good when I do it. But my body, I think, was perceiving that as stress. And so I cut majorly back on my exercise. Yeah. I started doing a lot more yoga, um, trying to really address the stress issues because it's adrenal-based. It's actually causing me to show up as hypo, as borderline hypothyroid. Like I'm showing up as borderline hypothyroid because my cortisol is so out of whack. Because your body's compensating in other ways. And it's also, you know, like it's that shift we talked about another way. Like it'll compensate until it can't. And right now you're kind of in that middle zone right now. Actually, I... That you can get it under control. This is why you go to doctors. This is why you go get tested. (laughs) Because you have your baseline. (laughs) But because this is something I found that I wouldn't have found. Like I wouldn't have found this. I was much more in tune with my body at this point, which I I was so in tune that I was like, I should check my blood sugar, which then led me to going see somebody about this to go check my hormones. And it directed me specifically to who I should see because I knew the other routes would cut me off. 
Yeah. So I went to see integrative medicine instead of seeing my normal practitioners would be like, oh, you're within the normal ranges. I wanted to make sure that I was in a tight range, not within a general normal range because I didn't want to go down that route. Right. And I really wanted to resolve this issue. So my adrenals have been like, had been firing hard and I have addressed my sleeping habits. I have addressed my caffeine habits. I have addressed my workout habits. I have made giant life changes that have made me incredibly uncomfortable in a lot of ways because it's so different and it's a mind game. Are you feeling the benefit of those changes yet? I am. I actually feel, I feel a lot better today. I did, if it's not yoga, I try to keep my workouts under 40 minutes Mm -hmm lifting can get a little uh, longer. If I do a HIIT workout, I keep it 15 minutes or under. Not I used to do up to 30 minutes, and I do 15 minutes or under now. I don't do HIIT workouts that often. I do a lot more yoga now, and I take a lot more days off. I just rest more. Yeah. And that used to be really hard for me, and it's getting a little easier now. And on the rest days, I just make myself a nice meal and yeah. just rest. Because now you're, you're actually making abs in the kitchen. <laughs> Well, rest is rest <laughs> is equally as important, if not more important, than the exercise that you do. Of course. You're recovering all on all different levels. There, there's more studies and podcasts and stuff that you can listen to on that, but it's not in our culture. And we're in this culture of go, go, go. Go hard or go home. Never miss a Monday. We're in this override your systems culture. Yeah. We are all forcing our bodies to do more than they can do. And I'm not just talking about physical stress. I'm talking about emotional stress. I'm talking about staying on your phone for long periods of time. I'm talking about the way we travel. I'm talking about the way we sleep. What we do in our life is putting more stress on us all the yeah. time. And it's, and it's caught up to me. And, I, and I'm just taking a, taking a picture of a mental snapshot. And I'm like, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to work on. And it's... It's mentally more difficult to undo all of the mental blocks and learning that I learned that like never miss a Monday and like all these different things that you have to unlearn to make yourself healthy. Yeah. I want to add to that that overdrive that you're speaking of that it's just, it's our culture. It's our society. Like you're just constantly pushing for the next best thing, whether it's in a workout or in your career or in your life. And you're just, we're just always trying to be on and we're overcompensating for a lot of things, whether that be you're tired. So you drink more caffeine or you're deficient in things. So you take multivitamins and different supplements, or you don't even know if you're deficient. You just take supplements to try and counteract the different things you're having. Like adaptogens are all the rage right now on social media to help combat stress levels and different things. So it's like we're on overdrive in all aspects of our lives when really if we can all step back and do what I had to do a couple years ago to realize where my triggers were and what you're doing now and just truly slowing down, simplifying our lives. It doesn't mean drink more coffee because you're tired. It actually means drink less coffee and get more sleep and drink more water and truly just try and simplify your day. And really well, I found, take yeah. account of what's going on in your life that might be some of your triggers. Yeah. Well, I think it what it's done for me is make me really, really focus on what is my body telling me? And it, I, and I understand, and it's taken a lot of time for me to understand between, like, do I not feel motivated today? Do I not feel disciplined enough to go to the gym? Or is my body saying, take, take a break? Yeah. And I have to, like sit there and think about it to myself for a little bit to kind of get to the answer. And some days it's that I just was feeling lazy. And most of the other days it's that my body actually needs a break. Right. That whatever it's perceiving, whether it's true or not, is stressful. I need to respect that. And so for me, what I've been learning in the past two years is to respect my body, to listen to my body, to take all of the all of the, um, like the duct tape off of my, I don't know why I keep wanting to override my body. I want to shut it down. I, for some reason wanted, I I learned to stop listening to it. I learned to stop listening to my body somewhere along the way. And it's taking me time to learn to listen again. And that listening is, I know it's going to help my future me. I know it's going to, like, I know I'm putting myself in a better spot for the future. And so what I would recommend to you guys is do whatever you need to do to get out of your own way. Do whatever you need to do to stop 
there's a lot of noise. The, our culture has a lot of good stuff, but our culture gives you a lot of, pardon my French, but shit. Okay. <laughs> it gives you a lot of crap. And it's hard to kind of dissect, like determine what is coming from where. And just, I hope that you can get to a place where you can listen to yourself and you can listen to your body and you're not afraid of what it's going to say because it's trying to help you. It wants to be alive. It wants to do well. It wants to thrive. And really believe that. It's not against you. It's for you. And it's it's okay. You will be okay if you miss a Monday. You might even be better off for it. Yeah. I think your story and everything you shared at the beginning of this and everything you went through is proof to that. Your body will be okay if you continue, like if you really truly start to focus in. Because when you truly started having all those symptoms, is that's when you started asking why. And although you weren't able to get to the answers right away, you were becoming more aware and starting to listen and starting to ask questions. And that journey of yours has led you here. And even with everything you've gone through, that long list of medications you were put on, the hormones that you were shifting throughout your entire young adult life, and the surgeries you've had, and the tests and diagnoses you've had, like you've come full circle to understand that and truly thrive. And I think it's powerful to hear the true experience you went through and yet you are still so inspired to continue to help yourself and you didn't give up. And I think so many people are going to learn from your message. If I had not gone through those things, I would never have been the nurse that I am. And so I don't regret them. I just wish, I want you guys to listen to them and I want you to hopefully just embrace them. And and even if they don't resonate with you completely, at some point in your life, whether it's with birth control or with something else or a surgery or whatever it is, or your parents, like decision-making for family members, I hope that you can become the advocate. And I hope that you can dig in. I hope you can ask the right questions. And I hope that you can see, that you can zoom out. And that tiny one little um, piece of puzzle will make sense eventually. And I I hope that it does. And I I really do think it will. And while I'm still working on my health and there's still things I'm working on, I think there will always be. I'm hoping that I will always have be a work in progress. But I hope that your puzzle starts filling in, that you get the edges and you get the corners and you're like, you start taking hold of this issue because whether it's my story or your story, Ray, or your story, whoever you're li- whoever's listening to me talk right now, I hope my hope for you is that you will be encouraged, that you will be empowered, that you will feel filled with hope, that you too can take control over your own health. It is not out of your control. There are bigger health problems and smaller health problems, and I don't think there's any problem too big that you can't do anything for. And so I hope that you guys listen to this and you listen to Bree's conversation and it not only made us seem more human and give you a little background on the struggles that we've been through ourselves. I hope that it gives you hope and I hope that you leave here feeling that you are empowered to go educate yourself and that you are empowered to ask questions. And that is really the whole basis of our podcast is that we want to give power back to the patients. We want you to feel that you have the education and that you have, that you are responsible for your own health, that your health is in your hands and you can take charge of it. Absolutely. Anyway. Yeah. We, we believe that to the core and that's why we show up here and that's why we're here with you now every week trying to expand that conversation. I do want to throw a disclaimer in. I know we're at the end of this episode. There's probably more than I want to know of you out there that are feeling extremely discouraged right now because you're probably still currently taking oral contraceptives or you're on birth control at some point. Please do not make this podcast be the thing that makes you just throw out the pill right now. Do your own research. Absolutely. Continue to look into it. Talk to your doctor about it. Our story is our story. We've learned a lot now, but we also chose to be on that pill for a very long time. We are also now both married and living with our husbands, and we're in a very safe space. The oral contraceptive pill has benefits in its own right to help people for all different sorts of situations. So please use this conversation as knowledge to then go inspire yourself, to educate yourself and find if what we're speaking about actually resonates with you correctly and you can make your own decisions from there. Do do you think that's clear, Laura? I would like to add to that. I think you did a 
that was fantastic. Okay. I think that was great. But um, I just wanted to say I do want to acknowledge and respect the fact that some people do need to take oral contraceptives. I want you to everyone that's listening to be aware that every medication that you take, there should be a benefits and risks way out by your physician and you um, together. And it should be do the, the question should be, do the benefits of this medication outweigh the risks? And if so, then do you want to take it? And that's a patient doctor conversation. And if you feel that the benefits of oral contraceptives or any medication, including antibiotics, I'm not ever dismaying antibiotics, antibiotics saved my life, but any medication, you should feel that the benefits for you outweigh the risks and you should accept that and go with it. Yeah. And if that works for you, do it. It, it. In hindsight, I should never have been on it. Um, but this is my story and Bree shared her story and our stories are going to be different than yours. Yes. So with that, we are going to close out podcast number seven. Thank you so much for listening. I know it was a long one. It was a very complicated, long story. And I really appreciate you listening to my story. Um, if you'd like, you can go and leave a podcast review on iTunes or Spotify. Um, we are on Spotify now for those of you that are listening. You probably know <laughs> um, because otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this. But if you have any family or friends that you feel like this would resonate with, please share it with them. And we hope that you'll listen next time. Thank you for listening to podcast number seven. And we are closing out. Thanks, guys. And I think we are going to continue Laura's story about her urge to go on a hike in the middle of nature after all those antibiotics with episode eight. I think we're going to go deep into the microbiome because it's been long enough and we need to start that conversation. Thank you for listening. We'll see you guys soon.